and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Flavia Munn, editor of Nursing Standard. This episode is exploring the principles of cleansing a wound. Now, nurses will encounter many different wounds in practice, from lower leg ulcers, including venous leg ulcers and diabetes-related foot ulcers, to surgical wounds and pressure ulcers and those caused by trauma. These can be distressing, painful and debilitating for the person, as well as affecting body image. They're also costly and take time to manage for the health service and organisation. So what do nurses need to know about this important area of practice? Joining me to discuss this is Matthew Wynne, lecturer in adult nursing at University of Salford, who runs the tissue viability and leg ulcer management module at the university. So hello and welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Hello. Hi, thanks Thanks for sparing the time to join us. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So I wanted to start by asking you, what's the difference between an acute and chronic wound? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is a, a, a really kind of critical um, first stage, really recognising the difference between these, um, these two types of wounds. So Acute wounds are sort of generally considered to be those that are progressing um, properly in this sort of expected time frame through the sort of four phases of healing. Uh, whereas chronic wounds, something's gone wrong in one of the phases, most typically this sort of inflammation phase of, of wound healing, which is causing the wound to, to not heal within the sort of time frame you'd expect. Um, and in, from a sort of wound cleansing perspective, that can have a kind of number of different implications, including the sort of nature of the, the microbiome that's going to be present on those wounds and the kind of nature of the risk of infection that's going to be um, associated with acute versus chronic wounds um, can be quite critical to kind of uh, the, the approaches taken to um, to cleansing and wound care in general. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And you obviously um, touched on cleansing there. Why is assessment of the wound before cleansing so important? Assessment of the wound um, is is critical for any sort of when it comes to any element of deciding the treatment plan. The assessment is really really critical to helping guide um, what approaches need to be taken, what factors need to be addressed in that treatment plan, uh, and cleansing is quite often a feature of the management plan of a wound. So uh, assessing the wound is critical to understand how specifically the, the particular nature of that wound um, is going to uh, sort of in, you know. In, affect um, what what wound cleansing approaches need to be taken. And are there any um, tools that can help in this assessment of the wound? Um, There are tools. I mean, um, you know, crucially, most of wound assessment is going to be very much reliant on visual visual signs and symptoms, discussions with patients. Um, There are risk factor tools that can be used and and kind of checklist based tools for uh, identifying, for example, infection. However, crucially, it's very dependent on the the skill of the nurse, the knowledge base that the the, 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 nurse or individual has um, when assessing a wound. Um, There are sort of up and coming digital tools as well for use when when assessing wounds. So, for example, uh, mobile smartphone applications. I've done some work in that myself recently, um, which can give you kind of information about the tissue types present, the signs and symptoms of infection that could potentially be uh, indicative of um, a need for, you know, antiseptic or antimicrobial um, products being used in the wound. And those are things that should be considered when people are assessing a wound. And in preparing to to cleanse a wound, I I suspect factors such as pain assessment may may be necessary. Can can you tell us a little bit more about about that? Yeah, absolutely. So some um, modes of sort of wound cleansing 
anything, particularly anything abrasive, you know, for example, using debridement pads or irrigation, perhaps, um, that cause kind of a, a more trauma, perhaps, to the, the actual wound tissues are slightly more vigorous. Those can certainly be associated with pain. So if it's been decided following the wound assessment that um, such an approach is necessary, it's it's often a good idea to discuss that with a patient in advance, perhaps, uh, certainly before you perform the procedure and administer analgesia um, and give enough time for it to start to work before you start doing the procedure. Because, uh, of course, if you if you if you sort of neglect to do that, it's possible the patient will then um, be less likely to to allow you to do it again in the future or will, will you know, can create, can create problems and getting the treatment that patient needs to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so communication with with the patient key key as ever. Mm. And and can you explain the the difference between an aseptic and clean wound technique? And and when would you Im- employ each? So in 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 what scenarios? Yeah, absolutely. So this is um this is a sort of relatively controversial area of practice, really. Um, mm. It's my 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 background in in tissue viability and infection control, and and I think there's a there's a a tendency to to ear towards kind of using an aseptic technique for all wounds, uh, mainly based out of a fear of um, of, of infection. So the, the key difference between aseptic technique and clean technique is that aseptic technique is aiming to um, introduce essentially no opportunity for um, e- extrinsic sources of pathogens to get into the wound. So that's contaminants from the environment. You know, things that you might find in the environment could include things like um, Staphylococcus aureus, which can um, can exist in dust or perhaps enterotype bacteria, um, which can be transferred into the wound if an aseptic technique is not is not used, and that is a real risk if you don't use aseptic technique. So typically, in order to perform aseptic technique, you'd be looking at using sterile equipment. You'd use an antiseptic non-touch technique when you're actually interacting with the wound itself. So you're basically trying to eliminate any opportunity for those um, those pathogens, those micro, uh, microbes to actually make their way into the wound from external sources. Now, contrary to that is is um, is clean wound technique. So clean wound technique is sort of as it sounds, you're not deliberately doing anything really dirty. You're not going to be using, you know, um, used gloves or things like that. You'll be using clean gloves. You'll be using, um, uh, you know, obviously clean, ideally some of, of course, sterile dressing products and uh, and cleaning products, ideally. But you won't be necessarily using antiseptic non-touch technique. You won't necessarily use sterile equipment in order to perform the wound care. Um, now, crucially, that's that's obviously quite different because there is a risk when you use clean technique that you might transfer um, new pathogens into the wound. Now, there's very little evidence, uh, really, that either technique is associated with lower levels of infection in any particular in any particular group uh, and actually you know once a wound is over around you know realistically once it's past a couple of days the the microflora the, the ba- bacteria that are present in that wound that have colonized that wound are going to be quite stable so the risk of what's called exogenous infection where bacteria are transferred from outside of the um the, the biome you know and they're into that wound is actually quite low most of the bacteria that colonize wounds, most of the bacteria that um, that infect wounds are already present on the skin around the site of the wound. It's actually quite rare, really, that, that bacteria transferred in and cause, cause an infection. However, it does happen, uh, and there are certain patients who are perhaps uh, more at risk of this. Um, examples could include, you know, patients who have got um, acute surgical wounds, so wounds that are very, very fresh, that have been, um, that have been created surgically, that um, you know are very new they're quite uh, a slightly higher risk perhaps um, because you know perhaps the microbiome isn't as well established yet 
uh, and there was probably less contamination at the site of the wound to begin with because in theory there should have been skin pre uh, preparation applied before before theatre. Um, and other, other patient groups as well would include uh, immunocompromised patients. So, you know, in patients who are immunocompromised, um, you really want to be trying to do everything you can to reduce any risk of, of contamination with anything. Um, you often see, you know, for example, um, fungal infections in wounds in patients who are immunocompromised, which is relatively rare in other groups. So, you know, that's, that's you know, the other factors that need to be considered as well, of course, are things like cost and access to equipment. Um, my, my advice has always been, you know, if the wound is, if the wound is well established, if the wound is, um, uh, has been there for, for a number of days and there are no clear risk factors, for example, a patient is, uh, is, is seriously immunocompromised or it's a, you know, it's a fresh wound. Um, I would always personally advise clean technique is more than adequate, a clean pair of gloves, um, you know, uh, pot, at least at least potable, you know, drinkable tap water um, cleansing, and often, particularly in patients' homes, and um, they should be, they should allow patients to, to to clean their own wounds. You know, you can get a patient, for example, with leg ulcers that are chronic. Get them in the shower. Get them get them um, to clean their own wounds. There's absolutely no need to be using sterile equipment in those um, in those circumstances because um, you know the wound is is potentially very well established. The microbiome is very well established, and there's going to be little benefit really to to using an aseptic technique in those circumstances. So crucially, it's all about understanding the patient, the risk factors associated with them, um, and and, uh, you know, making sure that this choice of technique reflects that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That 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 really clarifies things, especially the the what appears to be the the quite simple approach to to cleansing one in in a, a patient's home. So I wanted to to ask you a bit more about the evidence. So what evidence do we have on how best to cleanse and and care for a wound, and and what more evidence do we do we need? Well, that's um that's a good question um for sure and I think the the simple answer is we need evidence. <laughs> yeah. I think at the moment it's you know if you, especially if you look at the most recent Cochrane reviews which explore um issues to do with wound cleansing uh, or the you know even the consensus documents from the International Wound Infection Institute that look at which is to, to wound cleansing. Um, the, the evidence quality is very, very poor. Uh, in fact, you know, Co the Cochrane reviews concludes fairly consistently it's so poor that we cannot make decisions based off of the evidence. Um, now, crucially, you know, it, it's an important point to know evidence-based practice is not just derived from, from research evidence, but also from patient-related factors, um, you know, such as, you know, uh, patient choice or, or, or things that are, are going to be suitable for that patient, in addition to clinical experience. Um, and I think as well, you know, when it comes to the research evidence, our clinical evidence isn't very strong. So a lot of what we're relying on is um, is kind of theoretical based uh, risks and um, and ideas about how how you know wound cleansing products may interact with um, with wounds. Um, overall, I'd say you know the evidence base needs to be developed. You know, in terms of how do we know when to use an antiseptic versus a non-antiseptic cleansing technique. How do you know which technique to use? You know, for example, um, as we just discussed, aseptic versus um, clean technique. We need more sort of long term studies to identify, you know, what are the real implications of that in terms of, um, of key outcomes such as healing and incidence of infection. Um, we need to know uh, how effective different um, antiseptic products are against different types of uh, microbial infection. This is a, a really, really important point. And the most recent um, Institute of uh, International Wound Infection Institute document uh, consensus does actually give a, a, a good table which kind of identifies which particular uh, antiseptics are most effective against different types of bacteria. Um, however, that's, you know, it's uh, most of that work, as far as I can tell, has been done in vivo.
there's very little kind of uh, in vitro, in real life um, studies looking at how how these products actually uh, interact with patients' wounds and affect, um, you know, wound healing outcomes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that's, what, that's what I would say um, is, you know, but crucially, an absence of evidence is not the same as evidence of absence. Um, there's no reason not to use any of these products or any of these techniques because, because the evidence isn't, isn't forthcoming. Um, we can be sensible about how we make our clinical decisions and, and consider these factors. Um, and as I say, as always, you know, making sure that the approach to the treatment clearly reflects the, um, the, the specific factors that have been identified during the assessment of the patient's wound rather than via ritual or, or tradition or whatever's just current practice, you know, routine practice in your clinical area. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And how, how do we choose the, the correct cleansing solution? I, I believe the, the evidence uh, may be lacking here. We've just, you've just been talking a bit about evidence and um, I'd like to hear your perspective on that. Absolutely. So there are a number of different cleansing solution options that you can that you can take broadly. So if we if we sort of break them down, you can have water based solutions. So that could be um, sterile water. It could be potable tap water uh, or it could be saline. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got antiseptic products and there are a whole range of different types of antiseptic products which work in slightly different ways or effective, as I said, against slightly different uh, pathogens. And there's also surfactant type products as well. Um, and crucially, um, it's going to what's your approach is going to be guided by the nature of the wound. Now, in in my view, if there's no signs of infection, if you if you're cleansing purely to remove um, debris or to to um, uh, prepare a wound for um, you know microbiological sampling, I guess that's slightly off aside to the antiseptic use. Um, then water-based products are more than adequate. And in fact, there's, there's very little evidence. There's, there's even much difference really between using um, tap water, potable tap water and sterile water, uh, even in surgical wounds after 48 hours. Um, but if you have got signs of infection, if there are, if there are clinical signs of infection, an antiseptic product is something that could be considered as part of a multifaceted approach um, to dealing with that, um, dealing with that uh, particular problem. And then, of course, you've got surfactants, and surfactants are, are considered to be quite good at removing um, what are called biofilms, which are kind of quite quite uh, difficult um, uh, sort of uh, matrices that uh, bacteria produce on wounds. They also do it on other surfaces as well. You get plaque on your teeth is an example of a biofilm, and you can get them in lung infections as well. Um, and in wounds, they can cause um, chronic wounds to become quite stagnant and, and, and very difficult to heal. And that can be one of the reasons why wounds can become chronic. Um, in fact, a very large proportion of chronic wounds do have biofilm in them. So in those cases, a surfactant type product might be a good approach uh, as, a, as a routine cleansing approach to try and um, try and remove that to help the wound to heal. Uh, so the, the key things that need to be considered really in terms of cleansing solution is what is the state of the wound? What are you trying to do? You know, is it that you've got an infection you're trying to deal with? Is it that you've got a biofilm you think needs to be removed? Is it simply that you're trying to remove um, debris from the wound? And certainly if you're trying to get a microbiological sample, um, my advice would be to, to avoid using antiseptic type products because what you don't want to do is kill the bacteria on the surface of the wound that you're just about to sample with your swab or, you know, potentially even end up with antiseptics on your swab, uh, which could completely skew the results of that that um, that microbiological assessment. So, you know, that's again, um, you know, making sure that the, the, the choice of cleansing solution um, reflects the kind of patient factors that you're trying to address with your your treatment. 
Thank you. It's re- really fascinating and, and loads of really great practical advice there. So thank thank you for that. Um, so moving on to um, irrigation of the, of the wound, C- can you explain um, what irrigation of the wound is and also its uh, indications and how we, we best undertake this? Yeah, absolutely. So irrigation is generally where um, the cleansing solution is put under some kind of pressure um, there are there are lots of different ways that you can create this pressure you know you can put the solution into a syringe um, and you can sort of press manually on the syringe to create pressure behind the fluid um, you can use actual there are sort of dedicated machines which exist uh, which which generates certain pressures so you can be fairly confident that the pressure you're getting out is, is a particular pressure that you've selected um, and there's also another technique that, that sometimes used where people will hang up a bag of, um, of fluids essentially uh, you know fluids for infusion for example saline is typically what's used uh, and and then the sort of gravity will create the pressure uh, and then that's often used to irrigate really large um, traumatic wounds for example to get lots of fluid through um you know the in, in terms of sort of indications um, for irrigation it's a very difficult one um you know irrigation does have uh, risks you know the kind of risks that you might get with irrigation is that you could potentially propagate bacteria deeper into tissues, particularly if you're irrigating into a very deep wound and you can't really see the base of it and you can't really get the fluid back out after you've you've irrigated it clearly. You can push bacteria deeper into the wound. You can also end up with um, edema. So if you've irrigated into a space that's and you forced lots of fluid into it, you might end up with uh, edema in, in, in those spaces. And of course, as you mentioned earlier, pain can also sometimes be uh, be an issue. Now, one of the the kind of key issues with irrigation is knowing, um, you know, when it's most appropriate. You know, generally speaking, I think if you've got, you know, a, a large potentially traumatic wound, for for example, and there's lots of debris, there's lots of material that's stuck in there which needs to come out. Irrigation might be a good approach to um, to, to 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 dealing with that particular issue. Uh, but how you go about doing it in terms of the best approach regarding, you know, should you use a bag of saline, should you use a machine, should you use um, syringes? It's it's very, very hard to say. The evidence is really not very clear on this at the moment uh, and crucially around those pressures. Now, notably, as I referenced earlier, the, the International Wound Infection Institute um, uh, current consensus document, the most recent one, which was updated this year, actually has a table in it which discusses the use of um, irrigation at different pressures. However, the evidence for it is is very, very weak. It's not at all clear um, what the most appropriate pressures would be in any given situation. Um, and of course, if you're going to use a manual method like using a syringe, for example, there's no real way of knowing for sure um, exactly what pressure you're actually getting when you irrigate somebody uh, like that. So. What I'd say is, you know, once again, it's got to come down to patient factors. What is it you're trying to achieve in the wound? Um, is it that you've got, um, you know, lots of debris that you need to remove? Is it is it is it particularly difficult to do it in a, another way? Are there no other alternative ways of getting rid of that material? Um, and then perhaps ir- irrigation could be considered um, in those circumstances. Um, so once again, you know, um, more more evidence is is needed for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and how how about dressings? Um, should should they always be used? Yep. So that's um, it's a it's a good one uh, to consider for sure. I think when it comes to cleansing, um, you know, the, the most important thing to to consider is if you're going to use antiseptic um, cleansing solutions, then dressings need to be um, considered carefully. Uh, particularly, the sort of um, a, a choice of dressings need to reflect the choice of cleansing solution. Now, what I mean by that is um, when it comes to antiseptic cleansing, typically the um, 
the antiseptic cleansing solution needs to be in contact with the, the wound tissues for a prolonged period of time in order to create a reduction in the kind of bacterial burden in that wound. Uh, often you need to look at the manufacturer's guidance, but sometimes it can be as long as 15 minutes that that, that um, antiseptic cleansing solution needs to be in contact with the wound bed before you'll start to see any kind of antimicrobial benefit from it. Now, what, what that kind of means is that if you've got an infected wound um, and you thought, OK, I'm going to use an antiseptic cleansing solution, it's only going to be effective for that 15 minutes that you're cleansing the wound. And after that, the bacteria are potentially going to start to be able to, to multiply again uh, and may reestablish themselves in that wound. So what you need to do is ensure that if you're going to use an antiseptic cleansing solution, you really should be using an antimicrobial dressing as well. Um, and certainly in cases of wound infection, I would say um, certainly always um, a wound dressing is, is definitely required. Um, there might be circumstances uh, where, you know, a, a wound doesn't need a dressing. You know, if you've got very superficial, um, you know, a, a traumatic wound, for example, and it's already scabbed over, there, there may be sort of very little benefit in, in putting a wound dressing on. And of course, there are certain etiologies of, of what people may consider wounds, particularly things like moisture lesions, for example, where a dressing certainly wouldn't be appropriate because it will simply just trap more moisture and, and make the problem worse. So making sure you've got a good diagnosis of what the wound is, to identify whether or not a dressing is appropriate or not. But crucially, if you're going to use antiseptic cleansing solutions, you should really be using antimicrobial dressings as well. Otherwise, you're, you're not likely to, to see much benefit from, from those um, antiseptic cleansing solutions. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, that Matthew. Loads of um, fantastic advice in, in, in this podcast. So I just want you to um, try, try and summarise it all for us by, um, by telling, telling me what you think are the, the key sort of takeaway messages for, for nurses on, on cleansing a wound. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there are three key things which need to be considered when, when in, in any kind of clinical context where wound cleansing is, um, is being undertaken. The first thing is to think, uh, you know, why, why, why is cleansing being uh, being done? Um, it may not need to be done. You know, for example, if you've got a uh, a wound where it's healing absolutely fine, there's no issues with it. Uh, there's no clear debris. There's nothing. There's no devitalized tissue in the wound bed. Then don't clean. Um, you know, you must you must have a thorough wound assessment. Don't just do it as a matter of ritual. And don't just do it as a matter of routine. Think carefully. Why are you cleansing this wound? And that should guide your your choice of products. And crucially, I think one of the things I used to observe quite a lot when I was um, still uh, sort of full time in a clinical um, capacity is people thinking in terms of products and thinking in terms of um, what products do I do I like? What products do I I use regularly or have access to? And and how can I use them in this circumstance? The, the way I always approach this is think: What do you need out of a product first? Um, what does the wound need? What are the factors that need addressing? Is it that you've got a big traumatic wound with lots and lots of really stu stuck in there debris? Is it that you've got a uh, infected wound, which is, um, is is also chronic? Is it that you've got um, a, a wound that's not infected, but just has some devitalized tissue in it? And then think about what kind of products, what kind of techniques um, would be able to address those particular issues and that should guide you and if needs be you should be able to you know try and seek the most appropriate product that um, that could solve the problem rather than just going for something which is is, is less likely to be um, effective and the third thing and I cannot stress this strongly enough is that we need to do more research uh, on these things we're very I mean, we're not much further forward really than we were 20 years ago in terms of um, our, the kind of research clinical research evidence base behind wound care and um, I really do implore those who are who, who are in clinical um, in practice areas 
who were doing wound cleansing on a regular basis, who were, um, you know, testing, you know, new products and things, that there needs to be more emphasis on developing research. Um, you know, clinical experience and patient, um, patient uh, kind of considerations will get us so far. But crucially, we need to know how 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 to best treat our patients, and particularly with with issues that are ongoing today, things like antimicrobial resistance. Uh, and the kind of increasing burden of wounds, which we know about, um, is, is is kind of a growing issue. We need to be be getting more uh, effective at identifying the most suitable products, which are most likely to lead to um, a sort of optimal clinical outcomes uh, in terms of healing and an infection. So we really need to do more research. So I, I would really implore anyone um, listening to this who's interested in this area of practice or who is involved in it um, to to kind of take steps to try and um, to try and uh, to undertake that research themselves to contribute to our overall knowledge in this area. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Very, very good message and a good opportunity for us to um, plug some of the um, evidence and practice articles that, that you have written to us, which have written for us rather. So we will include those in the uh, show notes to this episode. So I just wanted to, to thank you very much, Matthew, for um, taking part in the Nursing Standard podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.